Welcome to First Coat, where we explore public realm art, how it's made, and why it matters. I'm your host, Stephanie Eche, an artist and entrepreneur based in Brooklyn, New York. I run Distill Creative, where I curate and produce site-specific art projects for real estate developers. I focus on creating more equitable and inclusive projects, and I want to get more exposure for the artists and developers doing this work. This week on First Coat, we have Isa Rodriguez. Isa is a textile artist and educator from Portugal, currently based in Brooklyn, New York. After receiving her MA in textile conservation in 2008, she moved to New York to work and learn from the textile collections of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. In 2010, she joined the founding team of the Textile Arts Center, where she currently works as co-executive director and teaches weaving and surface design. Isa likes to experiment and create with weaving and natural dyes, and her best ideas tend to appear in her dreams. Her work has been exhibited at the Museum of Art and Design and the Cooper Hewitt Museum, and she has created work for clients such as Altazara, Gabriella Hurst, M. Patmos, Google, ED by Ellen, Thompson Street Studio, amongst others. I know Isa from a garment weaving class that I took with her earlier this year, and I'm super excited to share our conversation. Welcome to First Coat. Thank you so much for being here today. Could you tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do? Uh, yes. Hello. Uh, my name is Isa. Um, I struggle a little bit how to define like who I am through what I make, but lately I've been saying I'm a maker. I'm also a textile artist. I'm an educator, and yeah, I I exist I exist in those in those practices. Currently, I am one of the directors at the Textile Arts Center, um, where I coordinate mostly the artist programs, um, but where I also teach and I also teach textile arts at a couple of other places. Do my own work and also do textile fabrication um, projects for other artists or for designers, businesses, whoever wants me to put <laughs> to put me to work, pretty much. Yeah, and that's kind of how I got to know you is through the garment weaving class at Textile Art Center, which was amazing. I'm so happy you liked it. How did you start weaving garments? So I've always been interested in fashion and in, in making clothes that was since I was a kid and then like definitely I was like a teenager. When I started working with textiles or when I started weaving, I didn't make the association right away. And it was actually through a job for a client. So it's a fabrication job that I did for Joseph Altazaha back in, I want to say 2015, maybe it was 2016, I think it was 2015, that I wove the first garment intended to not be constructed from cut yardage, but that the pieces of the garment were shaped. And that was something that felt important for him, but through the materials that we're using and the techniques also was the only way. We were making these really bulky textiles that were like woven with like cashmere, merino, it's like all really chunky. So there was no way we could cut through that yardage and still having it be somehow structurally sound. And you know, and it also felt right to treat each piece of the garment as a piece on itself and composing it in that way. So that was the first time I, yeah, shaped, weave, and created garments that were woven and constructed straight from the loom. That's awesome. Do you have a photo of that? 
Yeah, I mean, you can find it. Yeah, I can either send you or you can find it. Yeah, depending on what year I'm saying. It was for a fall winter collection. They, uh, even if you just Google Altuzaha woven dresses, they, they pop up. At some point, there was, what's her name? She's an actress that, um, oh my God. Oh, Kira Knightley. She wore one of them. I like, oh. I don't know, one of those magazines. They were received very well. They can, you know, and I think he was excited about them. I was really excited about them too. Uh, it's definitely, it felt like a celebration of woven fabric and very like, and celebration of the end made because the hand was very present. You know, so I thought it was pretty cool. That's awesome. What's your earliest memory of making art in any form? Okay, I think I'm going to share two memories. One of my earliest memories uh, is like a textile one. So I learned how to knit and crochet when I was maybe like four or five. Um, I hung out a lot with my grandmothers and, you know, they're both from a generation. And like, that's also like how they were raised that like you should never be not busy so if we were like watching tv or hanging out we at the beach or something we always had a project and it was me and my brother it was not just me so we were always so they taught us how to crochet how to embroidery how to knit because those are the things that they did so we were hanging out with them and doing this so i still have it i made i made these knitted scarf for my baby doll um, which is so bad, you know, there's like no gauge whatsoever. It's just like a strip. And then I'm, I still have it because later when I was in high school, I found it again and I transformed it into a headband. <laughs> <laughs> so it was just like, okay, I thought it was also pretty cool. So definitely I remember doing that. Um, and then I think still like with that association, then like later on, I also like maybe I was like seven or eight, I made a scarf for my great grandma that was needed to, and I was slow, so I couldn't finish it. Mm-hmm. So I remember the day before Christmas, my grandma helping me to just like dance a little bit fast. Uh, but I remember giving it to my great grandma <laughs> and it was funny because he barely could wrap around her neck. <laughs> But she was still so happy and so touched about it. So I remember, I think that was the first time I realized that the handmade, yeah, that had this power to like, I guess, communicate with people, but also show love to people that I loved. I think that was like, I, I think I didn't realize it ha- as I was doing it. And then through our emotions and through like that act when we were like sharing that, I was like, oh, this was special. And yes, I remember. That's so cool. One of my grandmas taught me how to crochet. And so we didn't do much knitting. I've never been that into knitting, but I definitely remember crocheting with her a lot too. So it's so special. I mean, I think more and more about that. And it also because it's something like the, because I think, I mean, I don't know if you like share that too. Like I, like I didn't practice those techniques necessarily like for years, but I, like there's just body memory I like I'll mm-hmm. pick up and either then like I'll just remember it because I learned it I guess at the same time that I was kind of like learning how to write learning how to speak mm-hmm. even <laughs> like how to exist so I like that and also like that you're being taught I think you know by my people I mean I'm mean, speaking like from my grandma's too I, I would consider them artists but they don't consider themselves artists or what they're doing being like an art practice uh, when ultimately it's not at all different from what I do and I consider it at times an art practice. Yeah, I think it's like the undervaluing of what is traditionally women's work and then the reframing of that as like art somehow 
I don't know, just so many things happen in there that's really confusing, but I agree. How did you start making art art in public space? I don't I don't know how that started. I think it's just like I, I put it in a category of like commissions, really. I think that that was a type of a commission that I also like got to. Yeah, that it was my work. I wasn't just fabricating something that had like an aesthetic or like or a vision imposed by another artist, but you know, like I made a couple of series for of textiles for a restaurant a few years ago, and still those were my designs, but that had more I had more conditions. But I I see that as like similar type of work, or that would come, <laughs> or people find me in similar ways as they'll find when they want me to leave yardage or die something. It's like I you know a mix of work for hire, but also like buying work from me. Mm-hmm. I think, you know, I've been at, at the textile center for like 12 years now. And in the beginning, that was something that we started doing because, mm. yeah, people were asking us if we did it and we knew the techniques. And over the years, that's something that I continued taking more and more on that I took special interest because I, yeah, that's something that it gave me joy. Like I, I don't see it as a different type of making. I like making my own work with my own concepts, but I also really like trouble. I see it as problem solving. I like making other visions come true because I also really like the techniques. So having to figure out what techniques are possible, what materials are possible to execute these projects in textiles is equally as fun for me. So I think that kind of just took, took his own path and then because I was interested in it, that I was saying yes. And yeah, kind of one thing led to the other. How much of it is like a collaboration because like translating something into a physical form, especially if it's a weaving or any kind of textile based thing requires, like you said, so much technical know-how. So if someone Mm -hmm. comes to you with like a concept, do you then go back and say, well, this is how I would do it, or this is like what's possible, or is it like the opposite where they'll ask you for, I guess it probably depends. Yeah, I can say both. Like it happens in so many different ways. And that's also like part of like what's kind of interesting for me is that each project with a different client will be something totally different Mm -hmm. Uh, so sometimes they you know like I'll get to work on a project that the vision or the aesthetic is already like very defined and then so it's really what's left for me is to kind of figure out the best way um, to bring it to life meaning by like the materials that we're able to source or the techniques even in those cases, it's always a conversation. So I would say it's always a collaboration because it's not like a direct transfer, you know, and there's also, especially when working with fashion, but not not even limited to that. There's, you know, sometimes we're working with very tight deadlines. So the type mm-hmm. of yarn or type of materials that I'm able to source or even the amount of time that a technique would require, mm-hmm. it's not compatible with the timeline that we're working with. So I think that's the part that it becomes a collaboration in which I say what is possible for a budget, what is possible for a deadline, what is possible even for the application that is um, that these project or yeah, that these things um, is going to become and other times, it is the true collaboration that, you know, that someone will come to me with just like an idea. And and then, you know, I, I'll, I'm also adding inputs on the design. And mm-hmm. I mean, for instance, the project that I did for the hotel, which is the, the new Ace Hotel here in Brooklyn. Yeah, like I was provided the, the vision board and the color palette, but then it was my own doing. So it really depends. How do you balance your fine art practice with your commission work with also teaching and just being 
being a co-director at TAC? Like, I I don't balance. I <laughs> so I I for the last twelve years. I I mean I say this and I I don't say it to like be cheesy or anything. But I think my my biggest project like has been TAC, and I do see and I, I you know like Kelly uh, who's um. Um, the other director and owner and I think everyone that like has worked there that like, definitely like has uh, worked there full-time I think they would have agreed that you know it's it's <laughs> it takes a lot being an arts administrator is is a practice on on its own and I, I see it too as a creative practice or I've seen it as a creative practice mm-hmm. um so yeah most of the times it, I don't really balanced I think the the part of my practice that ends up being put on the back burner is what I consider my personal practice or um maybe what you're calling fine art which I I, I don't think I would even call it that because I don't I, that's not really when I make work which is like we're seeing behind me or when I make work that is just that is just driven by myself and by my ideas not any you know any idea of you know, making money or anything like that I don't necessarily think about it I mean I think about it as art but I think about it sometimes as utilitarian sometimes I think about it as just things I'm making mm-hmm. um but I don't really have a yeah I I don't I'm kind of struggling but I, I would struggle even calling it fine art versus just mm-hmm. calling it something else they actually like exist all at the same mm-hmm. um level but yeah I haven't balanced too well I mean it's hard it's hard to 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 live in New York City or any other place just out of your artwork and especially like in a city like New York um endeavors and practice that can generate income I think tends to take priority um so I think it has been a balance of all of that like and you know I think I also been privileged and I am grateful for the fact that I've been able to exist for the last decade, um, making most of my life uh, to doing things around textiles and around making either it's teaching or being an art administrator or making work for others. Yeah, I, I see that as, as a privilege for sure. Mm-hmm. Could you share a little bit more about Textile Art Center for anyone who is not familiar with it? Sure. So Textile Center is a project um, that was started in 2009. Um, we exist in the city that we are right now in the Guanas uh, since 2010. Um, it was started by um, a couple of people. Some of them are still there, some others aren't. Uh, and it's since the beginning, um, a community focused project. So the idea was to create a studio space focused on textile arts. Um, that people could use to take classes, but also just come and use the facilities. Um, I think nodding to the fact that once you're out of uh, school and you don't really have easy access necessarily to looms or to a dialogue or to screen printing facilities and that all these equipment could be shared. Um, but also nodding to these experience when you are in school or when you are like learning and working amongst amongst peers that there's this cross-pollination um that you just like learning from each other um and it's exciting so that was the vision for what we want to build and that's what we've been building over the last decade and continue to to try to build and when I say we I I, I use the, the greater we as I, I do think everyone builds it and contributes students uh, staff 
work exchange, people that come and use the studio, residents. Um, it is very much a work in progress project, I think by design, um, which also has allowed uh, TAC or the Textile Arts Center to also respond, you know, in whatever best way we can to the different circumstances. For instance, last year during the lockdown, we, I mean, we were closed to the public for over six months and we, we never had any type of remote class or online class like the one you took, Stephanie, until then. And then, we you know, we're just like, okay, I mean, we, we need to generate income in order to keep the project alive. So this is what we can do. Um, at the same time, we, ha we have a residency program, which is nine months. And, you know, so how can we continue um, supporting our residents? How that curriculum can continue happening? Um, yeah, and that doesn't, you know, that's driven by many people and everyone is flexible, contributes with ideas and some of in that same way. I feel there's been so many projects that have been, um, yeah, that started a talk and some continue on and carry on like in other, in other places, others like exist and come to an end. Um, yeah, so I do, I just think it also acts as like a, just an incubator for ideas um, in that sense too, which is exciting to me. Yeah, yeah, and come visit us. We are open to the public now. So yeah, whoever is listening can come visit for sure. It's so exciting now that Tech has like online classes because then anyone can join from anywhere. Cause I know yeah. that's been a big, like when I didn't live in New York City, when I lived in Washington DC, I would come up for a class, <laughs> just like come up for a weekend yes. to be able to take class at Tech. Cause it was so amazing. And it was, I remember the first time I went, it was like, a dream come true to even know that a place like that exists. And now I live kind of close, which is amazing. Um, but before it was like, yeah, I would plan a whole trip just to be able to go there. And then now being able to, like, you can take classes in person again now, starting now, right? Okay. Starting now, yeah. So, so if you're well, we're keeping the remote classes too, exactly for what you're, um, for the reasons you're saying, you know, like, it was maybe something that, and I think that's also what I was meaning by sometimes it's just really the circumstances that has led mm -hmm. us to like take these leaps, um, which I think really happened with the support of everyone too. But, you know, we probably would have been a couple more years if ever thinking like, oh, maybe we could do classes online, but maybe we wouldn't have done it because, you know, everything is already so busy as it is. But last year we didn't have any options. So we had to explore that. And yeah, when we got a lot of that feedback, a lot of the people that we see taking the remote classes weren't people that were in New York and they were writing saying, oh, like we've been wanting to take a class for so long and this is so great. Um, and also the, even just the ability to work with textile artists that are also not based in, um, in New York to be teachers or even, um, yeah, to come in as mentors or I guess critics for the artists in residency program. That's been really cool. I think tech seems to have always done a really good job of networking outside of New York City, but now even more so being able to bring people into the virtual classes seems really cool and the residency. Yeah. What tips do you have for an artist who wants to do either commission-based work or collaborate with other people for, for the work that they're mm -hmm. making um, that's fiber-based? I mean, I was just talking with a friend of mine about that, actually, on <laughs> my 
find my walk back home. I mean, my only advice, I guess, my only advice would come from my experience. And I think also from like the experience of my peers. But I think one that it was always important to me is that, that you that you know your stuff. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, you know, like putting um putting the work or also get to know like what techniques you're feeling more confident in, like getting to know the materials and also not being afraid and to to say what you don't know to the people that approach you and being honest about what are your limitations. Not I don't mean even limitations like in the, in a negative way, but like what is maybe sometimes the limitations of your studio setup are you what what is the limitations of the material and and being okay having that conversation i think a mistake that i did earlier on was that i felt like i had to say yes to everything and if they were asking me the impossible somehow i had to like figure out how to do it and you know that sometimes like led to, to, to situations and and work relationships and collaborations that weren't like so so functional or are so successful in the end so I think yeah, that would that would be a good one. And I think too, to one of the things that you're saying, like how how to get commissions or how to like get into doing these type of work. I think also just making clear that you're available. A lot of people that are artists or that are makers are not necessarily interested in doing work for hire or doing fabrication for others. So also you being clear about yeah, what type of work do you like to do and do you want to do uh and what I guess let's call it like your boundaries about that too are you only interested in doing collaborations and in that sense like you'd also like your name associated with it are you okay with someone hiring you to do something and that becoming their work and and no I don't think that there's like a a template for this I think it's then down to like the individual but I think if you're clear about what you what you do what you're willing to do what you like to do people find you <laughs> and there's I think especially like in cities that are creative cities like New York what I guess I have more experience you know not everyone does the same people have different areas that they specialize and also different yeah it's got like boundaries of things that they will do what they don't do what they're interested in doing or not but we kind of all know each other of know of each other too I think that that helped too to say like I'm not interested in taking a job or because I can't do it or I don't know how to do it I can think of other people and if I know that they're into that type of work I can just recommend um yeah what's your favorite type of projects to do I don't know I think (laughs) yeah I don't know I think I yeah I like it I mean on my own practice I love weaving and I also really like working with eyes and working with eyes in guess maybe less traditional I mean that's that's not even true there's been there's been a tradition of making it working with eyes as like uh surface design so either through painting direct application and just like yeah combining and bringing that into the weaving practice too that's something I've been really excited about yeah and as far as like guess fabrication jobs I think a job is new I think I learned I think one of the reasons why I like doing it is because I feel like I learn a lot uh, through every project either is I learn about a specific material I would never woven with I'm thinking about commission I did last year which was a woven garment too and I'm weaving with these finger thick cashmere both warp and weft it's like I would never have like purchased that material for myself like I would never <laughs> have had that experience you know so but it was great to have that experience and it's great to now like yeah I mean I worked so much with it and I was like yeah I I know about that material so I appreciate that from every project I think you know because the vision is of someone else they do bring like a set of factors that it's 
yeah, it kind of challenges me outside of, I guess, like what would be my comfort zone or even just like the possibilities that I would think for my work. Yeah, I think that's one of the reasons I was really excited to interview you because I've been interviewing a lot of mural artists who like usually they're coming to a space with their own concept, but sometimes there's some there's some art direction depending on the client and how wh whatever yeah. the project is. And I think so much of any kind of art in public space is problem solving, but it's mm -hmm. similar with textiles. And I consider like doing a piece that's gonna be on a body or a piece that's going to be seen in a public space as art in public space also, right? Because like For people sure. are wearing For it, sure. it's in public space. And I think textiles is so interesting in that it's like, like the dress I'm wearing, I would consider this like art, but also it's a dress, but also, you know, mm -hmm. it's like there are so many layers. And, and then there and then it gets like confusing when something looks handmade or not handmade or like when you're trying to make it look handmade like someone was wearing pants the other day that I thought were like newish pants that they had they had really nice patches on them and my husband thought that they were like really worn pants because the <laughs> the butt had like worn where the wallet was like it looked like they had been worn a lot but I was like no yeah. I'm pretty sure they just distressed them to look like that but now it with like fashion you never really know <laughs> like especially with yeah. jeans, I guess I love what you said about yeah like fashion and garments being like also like the ultimate public art like I love that I feel like mm -hmm. I yeah I, <laughs> I'm writing that down <laughs> Well, your class really brought that out, I think, for me and my work of how, like, I think I kind of separated them because early in my post-college life, I had a job in fashion and I took it because I really wanted to learn how to make more than one of something because before that I was doing, like, freeform dresses. And then I learned all the crazy world of, like, clothing production and it kind of killed my creativity because yeah. it was all about like okay in order to do this you have to do this and like the pattern has to be this way and you can only use this fabric and the shrinkage and you know there's like a million things you have to think through and then you have to hit certain minimums and you can only get this fabric at this minimum like and so that's what kind of pushed me to even learn weaving but then when I learned weaving I was just like I'm never gonna cut anything I weave ever <laughs> <laughs> so your class was able to like push it like like oh I could actually weave things that can be shapes that just live and that I mean that's the part I love about it too and it's not something I think it was only yeah like after like my first explorations on like shaping that then I, I started really also researching what was the history of that um but yeah like what you're saying just yeah the the, the respect for the labor and the respect for the materials that we once have like this idea of producing yardage and then cutting onto it and wasting it's something yeah it's so it's so recent. It's like definitely like yeah, post industrial revolution and yeah, mm -hmm. super associated with this capitalist way that we have of existing and and making and thinking about that. But I yeah, I love I love that too. Just these these respect for the process and the material and they respect those so much that you actually include that on the design that you designed. The, how we existed on the loom and the shaping and everything and you also compromise the design and that you, it was okay to compromise the shape of the garment to preserve the material versus just making the material do whatever we want I'm very interested in that idea of yeah not not trying to bend something to your will necessarily but respecting each part can you walk us through the process of a recent textile or dyeing project that you did and like how you thought that through. Sure. It could be anything. I think you can speak maybe for like what are you like also like seeing behind me is the project I've been like working uh, for a while. So I 
I grew up at the beach and I'm like ever fascinated like with water and water patterns and summer and last you know so that's been kind of a, an ongoing inspiration for me and last year at the beginning of lockdown you know when I realized I was not going to be able to go home for a while and just yeah I, I find myself really thinking a lot about that and kind of exploring more this idea that I, I wanted to weave for myself bodies of water. And one of the techniques that I also like using, I was telling you early that I was teaching a class this morning about it, is painting on the warp. And that technique is kind of a riff of uh, the more traditional batik. I mean, by any means, it's comparable, but pretty much you paint dyes or pigment uh, paints, whatever you want on the warp before the warp gets woven. Um, there's some distortion that happens similar to what happens to batik, but it's more controlled and you can apply more colors at the same time. So I knew I wanted to explore that technique, but I didn't know necessarily like how to create the patterns that I wanted to create. So I tested out different brushes, different applications, and I ended up using to create a panel that's behind, which because I, I wanted these very like thin and irregular and kind of like wavy lines. So I ended, and I had all these washi tape that a friend of mine had given me and like with all different thicknesses. So I ended up using that. I just like glued it. I extended the warp out and then I just like glued it and that ended up becoming my resist. And then I just painted on top. Yeah, that's why I was super- the lines. Yeah, exactly. Oh. And you know, and I was super happy with it because the one- <laughs> The washi tape is so easy to tear, so I could just like create like curvy lines just by creating little segments. Um, it worked great as in the resist. I could also reuse it, which is something that I've also tried. Or um, yeah, I try more and more to also be mindful of like how I can keep reusing and then be the the least wasteful on everything I do. So I could I would just remove the tape and I'll roll it back again. So like I use it like a couple of times and. Yeah, and then I've been weaving these pools and I'm I'm excited about it. And that was really what the process was about for me because otherwise I was just doing it on a leftover warp that I had. So I had already like decided my API, decided the width. So that was kind of Oh my gosh. That was so close. Oh my god. Yeah, so I think on, on that note too, like I that's something that I, I've always done and I think I will always continue doing is letting other factors somehow shape my project we always have leftover warps that talk I always have leftover warps from client projects or whatnot I always save them and I use them after I'm looking at a collection of yarns that are from a project that I did six years ago or seven years ago that I've also slowly and steady been going um, through it I rarely buy new stuff or I type yeah I try as much as possible to work with what I have around and you know, in a way that conditions what I can make, but I also like that. Thank you. When you talk about some weaving things I understand or like textiles in general, but people listening might not understand. So I think it helps to talk through the process of yeah. how you get somewhere. I think to a lot of people, it just looks like magic or they don't think about <laughs> like, oh, someone wove the thing, someone or something, a machine probably wove the things we wear. And it's not like you don't like print fabric. Well, you can, mm -hmm. I guess now maybe, but in general, it's like made by something. Yeah. And even like, I mean, to what you're saying, like too, like all the, all the work that goes into like making those decisions. So even like me saying it's like, oh, I just used what was on the loom. I put that on the loom. I made that decision once, you know, so 
that you have to calculate the length that, of yarn that you're putting on the loom, that you have to calculate the width, like how dense you want it to be, the type of yarn, if this type. So there's like all these things that you have to decide ahead. If I'm doing dyeing work, I have to test the fabric or the yarn, each different fiber, each different fabric will take the dye differently. So there's always this swatch making. I like the planning. Sometimes the planning to me feels more exciting than the actually finalizing the project. It's like by the time I come to an idea I like and that is working, I'm like, okay, it, it, it works. So now it's just making. But you also said something that was something I was thinking a lot about a couple of years ago, and I made a couple of pieces with it. I started thinking more, I teach weaving a lot. And one of the things that I, I teach when, yeah, that I teach weaving is how to... How to make your, your salvages look very straight. And most people have the natural tendency to not have straight salvages when they're beginners because they pull too much or they're too loose. And I started thinking about that. And it's like, why, you know, that's, that's totally fine. And, you know, just it's kind of just showing your irregularities where you're more tense or more not. So like, why are we striving to this straightness? And then I was at a talk and they were talking about these weaver, um, had work also for the industry. And she had worked a lot with Dobby looms, which are the looms that, you know, were kind of um, a step up in, in order to, allow you to weave faster and more steady and then she had created a program for these looms that were fully like mechanized that made that like created the woven by hand feeling <laughs> so, and, so and I thought that's like oh my god this is like there's so much happening here that like we as humans try to mimic the machine as this idea of perfection which is probably totally like applied after the machines came into place right and then that we humans are also developing the machines so that the work that they're making looks handmade. And I'm like, wow, this is so wrong. So for a while, like I did this project that I set up the loom and I was doing all these exercises to try to unlearn all the conditioning that I had done <laughs> to my weaving to keep it straight. So weaving with my eyes closed, weaving when I was a little tipsy, weaving when I was really tired. And I found that like body memory is really hard to unlearn. So all the things that, which I guess it's fine now, it's just also the way I weave, but what you said about the, the machines and then the, the handmade made me really think about that. That's like, we always in this push and pull now because we do exist with the machines. So yeah, always comparing and always trying to be the other. It's funny you say that too, because I think with when, like when I've been in discussions with painters, for example, like someone who paints, the things that they are more specific about that are handmade even, I like, it's like I forget what is handmade because it, to me, it's so normal for it to be handmade or hand-touched, but then I'm learning that other artists use a lot of tools, let's just say, to, to make things yeah. a certain way. And it's there's not a right or wrong, but it's more of like recognizing the things that you are doing and being aware that they're not really the same anymore. Like it, we, we aren't all doing the same things anymore. We have so much that we can pull from to use, which is awesome. But it's also, I think people kind of don't know the work that goes into some things if you don't tell them, I guess, like the process yeah. that you go through to set up the warp even just like that takes a whole lot of thought and actual physical labor. And taking those moments as education moments is like if I'm working with someone that doesn't know that, you know, that they might have expectations like on in cost or like or even just the, the things they're able to do, thinking about what is machine made. So like taking a moment like, well, I'm not working with these types of looms. These are the looms that I'm working or even we dying. I get that a lot because, you know, all the dying uh, projects I do are like self-stop dying, like 
hot and all of it. So there's limitations. Like, no, I cannot die 20 yards uh, in solid color. That's I not with the equipment that I have. So, you know, I do think there's space and you know, I'm, I'm definitely not also like anti-machine made. I think a lot of tools and gadgets also like make our lives easier. But but I think it's, yeah, you thinking about what makes sense to your practice and kind of all that. Do you have any tips for any clients or people or, or even other other collaborators who would want to work with a fiber artist or someone who specializes more in textiles? What should they know or how how should they approach the project? I don't think necessarily they should know. I mean, obviously, if they're able to do their research ahead of time, that's just great. Even if they do, though, I think arrive with questions and arrive open to learn. To, to, yeah, to, to learn about the materials and learn about the process and and really see that as like a moment. Yeah, that is important that, you know, that when someone that knows more about that material is telling you mm, that's hard or maybe she's like, yeah, take, take their advice. And because that is just coming to experience. And I, you know, I think that that's true for all mediums. If I don't know anything about woodworking and if I'm working with someone that knows, like, you know, I, I yeah, I would just want to hear their opinion. What is possible or is not. I might have an idea in my mind, but I have no idea how the tools work. I have no idea how the material works. So I think, yeah, coming with an open mind to the conversation and, and trusting that, you know, if, if someone that has been doing something and has the experience is saying, like, I wouldn't advise for this to be done, it probably is coming from a place that they know more. Not that, we, I mean, we can always continue learning. There's things that maybe I thought 10 years ago that I'm like, oh, no, that's totally possible. You know, we, we keep learning and we keep pushing, like, our, our limitations. But I think it's important to respect someone's craft and someone's experience always. What's one thing you wish you had known before you began your career? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I think I have moved so far through life in a very, I guess, it happens and I react uh, type way. So some of the things have just unfolded in a very organic way. I think maybe it would have been great if, if I had known maybe, yeah, 15 years ago that I would... I think I kind of knew that though. As I say that if I if I knew that it was going to be that is it was always going to be a work in progress. I think maybe fifteen years ago I had this expectation that, you know, after a while you reach to a point and you're good. I think I don't know. I I think I, I mean, my parents had that. I think definitely I'm I still carried a little bit of that with me. And yeah, I think maybe it would have saved me some anxiety if I just know from the get go that <laughs> we're on this path and it's going to continue to be work in progress throughout our lives. Yeah, I I was just thinking about this the other week with some friends of all the anxiety that you have when you're younger that you it kind of expect things to be a certain way. And then you realize that they're, they're never like just this way. So it doesn't really matter. Yeah. But yeah, you know, it's like you don't know until you know, and then yeah, <laughs> yeah. What's something you've read or listened to recently that's inspired you? Well, one, I, I've been reading Octavia Butler's Parable of the Sower and um, Parable of Talents. And, you know, I've been, it's making me think about a lot of things. But one of the things, I guess, related to my practice, is, I guess, this idea of education and being resourceful, not resourceful and hierarchy within knowledge. So I've been thinking a lot about that and 
you know, and this idea even just like going back to some like these differentiations that we make in between fine arts or craft or materials that are better materials and worse materials and then, and then carrying it on like how our society also frames certain type of knowledge as not knowledge that you learn in college versus not knowledge that you learn if, you know, through your grandparents, if you do, or, and like how, how often things that allow us to survive, um, like cooking, growing food, uh, making clothes, medicine, things like that are seen as lesser knowledges. <laughs> versus other things that don't necessarily like are related to survival so i've been thinking a lot about that and i mean along yeah i mean i feel like it's an important writer and then i also got through quarantine and i've been also like working through it there was a big uh, exhibition on one of my favorite weavers lenard tawny um a couple of years ago so i got the catalog of the exhibition and it's been really nice to also learn more about her process and just yeah, reading through the essays of the different curators on that. It's also been pretty inspiring. She's someone that inspires me for, I mean, inspires me because I love the work and I love how she, her ideas and like how she made them come through life through weaving, but also her life as someone that like started really her practice and dedicated this time to be an artist later than most artists that, you know, not guess that my generations like would start. So she started like in her 50s. So I've also inspired always about that this idea of us being able to live many lives and being able to start something at any point I feel love it like this woman I saw on TikTok the other day that always wanted to skateboard but she was never allowed to because you know and then she started skateboarding in her 50s and it was just earned like these off pipe like doing incredible things and she has been skating for like a year and I was like wow this is great I, yeah that type of stuff really inspires me that's interesting. I'll have to find it on TikTok. <laughs> is there anything you wish I would have asked? No, I think those are all really cool questions. I was reviewing them before the conversation, and it, but I have to admit I didn't really prep my answers, so I didn't also <laughs> didn't remember all of them. So yeah, this is really fun to us to see what what popped in my mind when you were asking the questions because kind of a get to re know me a little bit. So that was yeah. Fun. Is there is there anything coming up that you want to share? I mean, I think, yeah, if you guess just that the textile center is open to the public and we always open to the public regardless if you're taking a class or doing anything there. So you can always just like pop in and get a little tour. Also, the artists in residence um, are the group that I work with. They're having their final exhibition in September. So that's been going on at TAC in September. Um, yeah, and I don't know, I'm excited for this summer and to hopefully test out some new work and new ideas. So we'll see, we'll see about that. <laughs> and where can our listeners find you online? You can find me on Instagram. My handle is kind of like a play on my name and the phonetics of my name in English and in Portuguese uh, but my handle is A-I-E-S-S-I-E-I and you can also find my, some of my work I'm not so great about updating it which is something I would say so I have to keep your website updated uh, mine is it uh, and my website is just my name isarodriguez.net Thank you so much. And I'll, uh, I'll put all the links in the in the show notes so people can find your work and learn more about Textile Arts Center. 
And thank you for doing this interview. Great. Thank you for organizing and for inviting me. This is so fun. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of First Coat. If you like this podcast, please leave a review. Make sure to subscribe to the First Coat podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. And follow us on Instagram at First Coat Podcast or at Distill Creative. First Coat is a production of my company, Distill Creative. Check us out at distillcreative.com.